Hey, Drop Port, good afternoon. Welcome to your lunch hour. Nateel, how's it going? Pretty good. It's a Thursday. Eric was a short timer this week, so I'm wearing several hats today. Well, you're good at it. When do you eat lunch? Do you eat before the show or after? Uh, depends on the day. Today I ate before because I had a few minutes to run out and grab lunch. Sometimes I don't eat until I'm done with my work day. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. But, you know, my work day tends to end right about like 3.30. So that's just sort of like late lunch, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure the audience is just loving us talking about our our lunch habits. Hey, Uh, they're probably going to get lunch and therefore are very excited. Yeah. I would be excited if it was lunchtime, but you and I got work to do. And we're always happy, of course, to guide people through their lunch hour. Uh, we're going to have Nathan Verseth on. He is one of the people. Uh, uh, Governor Burgum and Governor Dayton established a new task force on the Fargo-Moorhead uh, flood diversion. I, I think there's been very poor leadership on the flood diversion issue from the get-go. Um, I think this is an effort by the two governors to try to push the reset button, try to get this project back on the rails. Uh, we'll talk with one of them, Nathan Burseth. Now, he is one of the people who has been very critical of the Flood Diversion Project. We'll have him on the program to uh, discuss, uh, I guess, his view of the task force, what its role is going to be, what it might be able to accomplish uh, coming up here at 1 o'clock p.m. And, of course, we'll do the rundown here probably at 1230 as well. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at So, Natil, uh, you've, you've heard about this Enbridge Line 3 project, right? Yeah, it's up in northern uh, Minnesota. They're hoping to take out an old pipeline and replace it with a newer pipeline in the same in the same like trench, right? Most mostly the same. Yeah, I think there's some areas where they're they're gonna break some new ground, but but for the most part, yeah, they're replacing an old. It's called the Line Three Replacement Project. So they're mostly replacing an old pipeline that has. Uh, you know, and I, we actually had a, a representative from Enbridge on the program, and you know, they were talking about how, uh, you know, the current pipeline because it's so old, they can't run it at maximum capacity. There's still there's a lot of maintenance they're having to do with it, digging it up in places, uh, and reburying it after doing maintenance to it. So it's 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 run its course. It needs to be replaced, uh, but approving the replacement has run into obstacles because there are political extremists in this country who are just against oil against using oil and they have decided that they are going to fight every single pipeline project under the sun uh there have been activists promising to turn the line the the protests against the line three replacement project as the new no dapple protest we all remember that from the dakota access pipeline anyway last night at the um and there was a hearing in duluth about it uh it was held by the public utilities commission uh, it was supposed to. Um, it was. It was basically. It, it was a public hearing. It was presided over by an administrative law judge, and the idea was to collect input from the public about the pipeline project for and against. You know, basically, uh, they collect the testimony for and against, and and they record it all. And I mean, it's it's part of the process for approving these projects. Yeah, it's, it's not now, unusual in any in any way, shape, or form. These types no, of hearings I, are, are very common. Common and I think useful. Yes, I, I mean, absolutely. This is, I mean, this this is part of the process to, to approving these projects because when you're talking about again, I mean, even even just replacing a pipeline, you're touching on a lot of stuff. I mean, there's water resources, there's landowners, there's you know members of the public. I mean, there's there's a lot of concerns about it, and so that's what these sort of hearings are for. 
Now, what happened is a group of activists showed up and basically shut it down. Um, it was cut short, and I'm, I'm reading here. This is from uh, KBJR6.com. Um, I quote, an Enbridge spokesperson tells CBS3 that it is unfortunate that a public hearing at the DECC held by the Public Ut- Utilities Commission was cut short Wednesday night in Duluth due to protesters. Uh, the final hearing of the night, uh, giving supporters and opponents of Enbridge proposed Line 3 pipeline the chance to weigh in on the controversial project, was cut short as protesters made an effort to get their voices heard. A woman who was protesting calls herself a water protector and says many shut down the public hearing with uh, with drum and prayer, saying that is what they hope to do with the pipeline in Minnesota. So he, here's the thing. is It's supposed to be a a public hearing put on by a state agency to hear from both sides of the project, and this group of extremists shows up and doesn't want any discussion at all. They completely disrupt the proceeding. And by the way, I've got video of it at sayanythingblog.com, and it's uh, it's childish. It's childish. It's a bunch of idiots, and I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily calling you know their position against the pipeline necessarily idiotic, although I may disagree with it. Their behavior was idiotic. Standing up, they're beating drums, they're shouting over people, they're screaming about racism, they're screaming expletives, behaving like children, like toddlers in a store that aren't getting the toy that they want. That's how they're behaving. And, and it, it shocks me that this sort of behavior is, is just an accepted political tactic. I mean, whatever your position on oil and pipelines, this should be condemned. This is not good for the process. Right. I mean, because that's that's really what democracy is all about. Democracy is about setting up processes, right, that, that are inclusive and, and, and to try because we're never all going to agree on issues. Right. And so what we've got to do is we've got to establish some sort of a process where everybody can engage and whatever the outcome, even if it's not the outcome that you wanted, at least you can feel you had to say you engaged, but you're not always going to win. The position that these people are are, are taking is to hell with the process we're going to show up we're going to scream we're going to shout we're going to use intimidation and with the dakota access protest we saw violence we saw vandalism we're going to use that to try to get our way and it's unacceptable it's amazing to me how many mainstream people just stand behind this are just acceptable with this this is extremism when you try to get your way with intimidation when you try to get your way by shouting other people down when you try to get your way by, by not even allowing the process by which engagement is allowed and, and these projects are approved, by, but to not even be in favor of allowing that to play out, is extremism. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Karen, you're up. What's going on? Well, last winter, out-of-state agitators drove in their cars to south of Bismarck, used propane heaters, and then sometimes drove to Bismarck for something to do. But they're against oil. At least what should happen is the oil, old oil pipelines have to be replaced so they don't leak. Yeah. I mean, we're all using the oil. We're all using the oil. I mean, that's and that's, that's the thing. Even these protesters 
are using the oil. Now, I, I don't know. Maybe you feel like there's something better we could be using. Maybe you feel like uh, we should be using less of it or, or whatever. The simple fact of the matter is we're using it. And if we stopped using it, Americans, Minnesotans, North Dakotans, Canadians, we would all take a serious hit to our quality of life if we stopped using oil because there's no really good replacement for it at this point. And so we're all using it, and if we're going to use it, we may as well focus on developing it, transporting it, and using it in the safest, most responsible way. Unfortunately, these political extremists aren't interested in that. Thanks for the call, Karen. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. I tell you what, let's not do Chris before. Let's, Chris, hold over for the break. We'll get to your call right after this. This is the Rob Report. On 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Oh, we got Jay Thomas on location at Teal. Yeah, he's out at Pub West eating all the good food. Jay Thomas at Pub West. We'll hear from him. We'll be right back on the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Porter on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. The Minnesota Public Utilities Commission tried to hold a public hearing on the Enbridge Line 3 replacement project. Uh, it got shut down early by protesters who came in. There's video at sayanythingblog.com if you want to watch it. But, I mean, basically they showed up. They started screaming obscenities. They disrupted. They were beating drums. During a hearing that that was intended to to gather points of view from both sides of the issue and documented as part of the public process towards approving this pipeline. And and to me, that is it does such a disservice because that's why the process. I mean, listen, like it or not, we live in a democracy and that's imperfect. I know that means that our governance process often produces outcomes that any given individual in this country may not like. But what's the alternative? The, the, the alternative is mobs of people show up uh, and scream at each other, maybe even fight each other, maybe even resort to violence and war. So pardon me if I prefer the process. Pardon me if I prefer, uh, prefer hearings and committee meetings and elections and things like that. As imperfect as all of that is, that's what I prefer as opposed to mobs of people just trying to get their way by shouting and screaming and cursing at people and sometimes committing acts of violence and vandalism, et cetera, et cetera. But that's just me, and I'm not a political extremist. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Chris, you're up. Hey, Rob, how's it going? It's going good. Hey, I just uh, I wanted to draw a really quick parallel, uh, but before I do, I'd like to say, hey, I would love to quit using oil. I would love if I could quit using it today, and someday, hopefully, I will be able to, but for the time being, I can't. That said, uh, the parallel I wanted to draw is um, between religious extremism and uh, the kind of extremism we're seeing uh, with these protests. Um, I think it almost has become a religious thing. I mean, you hear the talk, you know, about uh, almost this kind of pseudo-spiritual Mother Earth and the the spirit of the water, and and I think this is becoming almost a religious sect. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think any time. I mean, listen, I, I don't I don't want to insult, and I'm not a religious person myself. I'm I'm an atheist, but I have a lot of respect for 
the tranquility and and guidance that people find in in their faith. And so I don't want to insult any of that by comparing what's happening with this political movement uh, to 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 people's faith. I, I guess that to 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 their religion or, or whatever. I, I think that would be unfair. Now I I think there are some. Who are I mean, obviously, like the Native American tribes have been co-opted into this, and and I and I, again, I don't even want to question the you know the, the Native Americans and their convictions and and their their spirituality, and you know they they obviously are are a very, they put a lot of stock in in nature and water and everything like that, and and if they feel like these pipelines are a threat, then then fine. But but here's here's the simple fact of the matter: we live in a democratic society. That means that there are processes in place. We're going to try our best to take into account, uh, and I, I, f- I feel like the law does, and, and perfectly. We, we have not treated Native Americans well throughout the years, but in the here and now, they get a say. They do get a seat at the table on this stuff, but their objections don't necessarily get to trump everybody else. I mean, they don't get to declare that they have a spiritual connection from the water, ergo we can't build pipelines that that's just not how it's it, it's going to work. Um, it, it can't work that way. Not not if we're going to live in the sort of society that we aspire to live in. What can't happen though is we can't allow mobs of people to show up and shut down public hearings because they don't like the pipeline. You know that that can't be. I I don't want to set set up a situation where you know factions of the American electorate feel like they could get their way by showing up en masse at a mob and shouting and screaming at people. I, I mean, if that's if that's the new norm, if that's the rule, then, you know, we're in a lot of trouble. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Uh, that's what worries me. I mean, the, the Dakota Access Pipeline, even beyond the question of whether or not we should we should have built the Dakota Access Pipeline, whether or not we should do the Enbridge Line 3 replacement, even beyond the question of those issues is a question of how are we going to settle those matters? How are we going to settle those questions? Build the pipeline, don't build the pipeline. You know, I think we have done our best to craft uh, a process both at the level of the federal government and at the level of the state governments to try to handle that. Now, is it perfect? Can it be improved in some ways? Maybe. I'm willing to have that debate. What I am not willing to accept are people showing up and, and screaming at each other. Right, because that's that puts us pretty much one step away from war. I, I get asked all the time, Rob, how, how can you stand politics? You talk about politics all the time. You write about politics all the time. How can you stand it? It's all so awful. And my answer is that politics is basically the alternative to war, right? Because if if if, if we're not if we don't have a political process in place to settle these matters, then the alternative is going to war. The alternative is violence and screaming at each other, and, and basically the people with with you know the most guns or, or or the most bodies or the most people shouting wins. That's not how I want to be governed. I don't want to be governed by the mob. I want to be governed by a process that's inclusive and democratic and and has a level of, of egalitarianism built into it. That's what I want. The political extremists fighting the pipelines want something else, and I don't think whatever your position on oil and pipelines. I don't think anybody should be standing with them. 701-293-9000, Let's get an update from Jay at Pub West. I'm Rob Port. You're listening to The Rob Report on 970 WDYAM and 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Don't write yourself off yet. It's only in your head to feed. Pops it, yeah. Pops it, no. Make your mind up. 
Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDY.com. Talking about these uh, Line 3 uh, Enbridge protests, and, and there's been other protests, too. I mean, la- last night it was, a, it, was a, it was a public hearing of the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission. Uh, they were getting input on both sides of the, the, the question of whether the pipeline should be built. And a bunch of anti-pipeline protesters showed up. Screamed obscenities. There's video of it. Sayanythingblog.com. Screaming obscenities. Screaming at 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 the the people conducting the hearing. Uh, screaming at the pipeline supporters. Uh, it, it basically shut it down. They ended up shutting down the hearing early because of that. And, and how unfortunate is that? I mean, maybe there were other people who had arguments to make on one side of the the pipeline issue or the other that didn't get to have their say because this group of idiots turned up and, and and shut the proceedings down with their with their antics. Um. It's it's not good, and and this is a this is a question that to me is is bigger even than the question of whether or not we ought to be building pipelines or using oil or, or the question of environmentalism or whatever. I mean, this is it speaks to to a fundamental question about how we're going to be governed. Are we going to be governed by laws? Is it going to be the rule of law? Is it going? Are we going to be governed by a, a process? You know, a legislative process to, to make laws by people duly elected of 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 the of, of the people. I, I that's what I would prefer, and I fully admit that is an imperfect process. There are a lot of reasons to be cynical about it. From politicians who are more concerned about their own interests, politicians who are hypocritical, to processes that just fundamentally can't necessarily be as nuanced as we would all like them to be. I get it. It can be frustrating sometimes. A lot of times, democracy not only moves slowly, which is frustrating in and of itself, but it oftentimes produces outcomes that are less than satisfactory. I get it. I'm frustrated too. But we cannot allow that to become an excuse to show up and try to get your way by screaming the loudest or by having the most people in your mob. Or by setting things on fire, as they did during the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. It is a dangerous thing to condone the sort of tactics that these environmental activists are are resorting to. It, It is a dangerous thing for our society. Now, maybe that seems absurd to say, but I, I think I think... In America today, in the 21st century, we are a little bit pampered. We are, most of us, pretty far removed from anything threatening the the sort of political norms that we're used to. But it really wasn't that long ago that that Germany was taken over by Nazis who got their way by basically intimidation, by organizing a mob and shrouding the loudest. That's how they got their way. Now, I am not comparing the environmental protesters to Nazis by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm saying is that we have grown comfortable with the status quo. We have grown comfortable thinking that this is just the way it is and that, you know, we could just allow this sort of stuff to happen and it's not going to tilt, it's not going to tip our democracy over. Well, I'm telling you, 
if we give these political factions the idea that they could get their way through intimidation, they could get their way by organizing mobs and shouting and screaming at people, then that's what we're going to get. Every single time that sort of tactic is successful, and I am so glad it wasn't successful with the Dakota Access Pipeline, that ultimately that pipeline got built. But it almost was successful. I mean, the Dakota Access Pipeline essentially got built because Donald Trump managed to get himself elected president. I mean, thanks to the Electoral College giving Donald Trump the victory despite not winning the popular vote, the Dakota Access Pipeline probably doesn't get built. And if it doesn't get built, then that's a victory for the sort of people who show up and use the power of a screaming, violent mob to get their way. If you reward that sort of behavior, you're going to get more of it. And as you get more of it, it's going to get more extreme. Throughout history, we have tales of people who became so dissatisfied with the status quo, they used violence to try to get their way. And I'm not even saying that that all the time that was necessarily unjustified. Our country was founded by people who felt like their government was treating them poorly and they used armed revolution to change things and to set up a government of their own. But the thing is, is, is violence necessary to block a pipeline? Are shouting profane mobs necessary to block pipelines in 2017 America? I don't think so. I think we actually have a pretty rigorous process in place to approve these pipelines. I also think we need the oil, as the caller earlier in the program pointed out. We're all using it. Our economy runs on it. There would be a lot of people hurt economically and otherwise if we stopped using oil. Because there's no good replacement for it at this point. And so that's what worries me, is that we're going to get to a point where, where angry mobs showing up is, is the process. And whoever's got the loudest, shoutiest mob wins. In some ways, that's already playing out in the digital realm online. Right? I mean, it's like whoever gets the most clicks, whoever gets the most shares, whoever can gin up the most social media outrage wins the discussion. Right? It, it becomes about who's got the best you know, memes, not who makes the best points. And until not so long ago, I went to I went to a convention for bloggers. They actually hold that sort of thing. Uh, and this was this was years ago. This was just as sort of Twitter was taking off. And somebody said at this conference that in the future, in order to win a debate, you essentially were going to have to boil your message down to something that could fit as a caption on a cat picture. Right. And, and that, that argument sort of being that, like, that's what it was going to be. It was going to be a battle of memes. It was going to be a battle of, like, shouted slogans. And I feel like that's what we're moving towards. When I watch this debate over the pipelines, it's like it's, it's not about reasoning or, or facts or, or balancing uh, priorities. It's about who can shout the catchiest slogan. And I don't want to be governed that way. Do you? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a debate online about who's the best superhero with right the flinging of memes back and forth because that's that's all in in good fun it's nothing that's going to have a direct impact on the actual way that i'm living my life when it comes to my government and the things that are going to impact my daily life my ability to earn an income 
my ability to continue to live the life that I've come to expect to live in the country where I exist. I absolutely want calm discussion, rational discussion, reasoning, logic, and compromise. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's how the democratic process works. And, and again, what you have to accept is a lot of times that process is going to kick out a result that is not necessarily satisfactory, right? That, that leaves you sort of wanting more. And that's, that could be tough to swallow. But it's not an excuse. It is not an excuse to turn around and, and to begin, and, and to begin uh, using you know, this, these sort of mob tactics to get your way. It's just it's it's not good. It's not good for our country. And if you are if you are going to do this, I mean, it, the people out there who are justifying this, you're you're just wrong. I, I mean, just the people who try to spread their message this way should not be listened to. They should be disregarded. Now, if they want to show up and they want to make logical arguments and they want to take a stand against pipelines or oil development or, or coal development or, you know, automobile manufacturing, whatever issue that they want to protest, then fine. Everybody has a right to have their say. But you don't have a right to get your way through force and, and, and mob tactics. That's my point. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. I'll just put a period at the end of the sentence. I've been talking about, you know, the, the protest against the Line 3 uh, pipeline over, uh, there was a an attempt at a public hearing in Duluth from the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission, uh, and it was shut down by a mob screaming obscenities. You can see video at sayanythingblog.com. Uh, and my point is the process of how we're governed matters. And if we allow that process to be subverted, then we're all going to suffer for it, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Okay, I'll move on. Um, Natil, I, everybody's sick about the NFL issue. Everybody's sick of talking about it. It's tiresome. Um but there was a really good um, op-ed uh, from a former, the former CEO of Carl's Jr. Uh, this was posted at foxnews.com. I, I thought what he wrote made a lot of sense. This is uh, by Andy Puzder. Puzder? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. P-U-Z-D-E-R. Former, uh, former CEO uh, of uh, Carl's Jr. Uh, he writes, I quote, I ran the company that owns the Carl's Jr. and Hardy's restaurant chains for almost 17 years. Along with our franchisees, we employed about 75,000 Americans and flew the American flag in front of many of our restaurants. Had any company employees decided to disrespect that flag in front of our customers in our brand's uniform and during the hours of employment, I would have encouraged our general managers to first warn them to stop and, if they refused, to fire them. I am very supportive of First Amendment rights and would encourage employees to express their opinions openly and freely on their own time. 
but employees have no constitutional right to alienate a business's customer base, damaging that the business that employs both them and their coworkers, not to mention the owners who have taken the financial risks to create the business. When you accept employment, you accept the responsibility to advance the interests of the business that employs you. You have no right, nor should any employer tolerate attempts to damage that business by alienating its customer base. These kneeling player employees have put their NFL team owners in a difficult spot. On the one hand, they certainly do not want players alienating their customers. On the other hand, team unity is important to a winning season, and they naturally want to be sensitive to their players' concerns. But they never should have been put in this position. Um, I, to me, that I, I think that is probably the most even-handed, level-headed thing said about the, the kneeling protest to date, Natil. I really like that. I, that just makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that, that he's wrong. Uh, again, I, I support the causes that these NFL players are trying to bring awareness to through their protest but they are employed by the NFL, and if what they are doing is causing a detrimental effect on that company's overall revenue, some, something's got to change. And well, here, here, yeah, I mean, when, when you agree to go to work for a company, right, and that's essentially what they're doing, right? If you're a football player, you sign a contract, you go to work for an, an NFL team, right? Now, that doesn't mean you, necessarily, you give up your First Amendment rights, but... When you are on the clock, so to say, which is to say when you're in the process of doing your job, which for football players is showing up for football games, when you put on your employer's uniform, when you're representing their brand, you do kind of give up some of your First Amendment rights, which isn't to say that, you know, you could say what you want and you could do what you want, but they could also turn around and take action against you. You know, and so I, I, I think sometimes so much of this debate has been focused on, well, you're 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 trying to silence the players or, or whatever, and I think really it's it's a complicated issue. The 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 issues that they're taking a stand on, their position is not necessarily shared by everybody, even by people who agree. I mean, I agree that that police brutality is a problem, not just for minority communities, but for all Americans. The relationship between the general public and law enforcement needs to be repaired. It needs to be. F- fixed the problem is particularly acute with minority populations but overall it's a problem and but the thing is is that we probably have different points of view on how to fix that so you know and and again i'll stand by and i think this is the larger point that he's making not only is it bad for the nfl and and for the income of all the players and all the owners and everybody it's not good for their issue right because again Nobody's really talking about police brutality. Everybody's talking about respect for the flag and patriotism and everything else. It's a counterproductive way to get their message across. Caller, Kevin, you're up. Yeah, Rob, I was looking at some stuff the other day, and each NFL team has a $167 million salary cap. So 32 teams are at about $5 billion. Why don't all these kneelers take some of their money and go by ad time. They yep. want free time to kneel during the football games when they don't have to pay for anything. Yeah, I mean that's that's I mean that's that's a good point. I mean, and I I think that gets into part of what uh, this former Carl's Jr. CEO is, is saying is essentially these players are co-opting their employer's platform, 
right? Because the team, I mean, the team owns or at least leases the stadium. Uh, you know, the team owns the brand. I mean, the NFL has a part of it. I mean, they're essentially co-opting a platform to, to spread their message without, and, and they didn't really ask the owners or anybody else how they felt about it. That's that's really not a fair thing to do, right? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not fair. Most like of the like stadiums are owned by half the public because they use tax dollars to build them. It's, right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like if if you hired me. Kevin, and I put on your uniform and I was at your place of business and all of a sudden I started saying things that you disagreed with, it would be fair for you to be worried that people are going to conflate my point of view with your brand, right? That's and a fair the, thing. The, the nice thing in North Dakota, it's an at-will state and I don't play baseball and you don't get three strikes, Rob, you'd be done. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know? Now, I, now, it would be different if I went to you and I said, hey, Kevin, you know, I've got a point of view on this and I'd like to express it. And you were like, OK, you know, that's fine by me. And we came to some sort of an agreement and I went out and did it. Then you're on board with it. And that's fine. But as long I don't as necessarily you didn't do it on my time or company yeah. stationary or stuff like that. Yeah, I don't have a problem what you do on your own time with your own methods. The NFL is not. It's not a political organization, right? I mean, they don't really have – they're there for football. It's an entertainment organization, and these players are trying to turn it into a political organization, and that's not going to end well for the NFL unless they nip it in the bud. That's it for uh, for this hour of the Rob Report. We'll be back right after this. Nathan Burseth from the new uh, Fargo-Moorhead Flood Diversion Task Force is going to be on. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDYAM and 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Yesterday, the girl I knew from 1990, her eyes are hazel, her name is Mabel. I kissed her once and now I'm able to walk the uh, Governor Governor uh, Doug Burgum of North Dakota and Governor Mark Dayton of Minnesota uh, have put together a task force for the Fargo-Moorhead area flood diversion project, which, well, it's, it's been a rocky process. And, and my perception of this is that this is an effort to try to take a project which in some ways has gone off the rails and get it back on the rails and try to build some consensus and try to, to accomplish something that's going to give the Fargo-Moorhead area some flood protection, which I think nobody wants people to be flooded. So I think that's a pretty good project. Anyway, uh, both governors appointed uh, members to this task force. One of those members is uh, Richland County Commissioner Nathan Berseth, and Nathan's on the line with me right now. Nathan, how's it going? Good afternoon, Rob. Nathan, do you agree with me? I mean, I, I look at this as the governor's trying to push the reset button on this process. 
Rob, I always agree with you. Um, but well, well good. That, you should. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. That was a slight joke. But no, I, I agree. I think it's. I don't think. I think the governor would disagree. The reset button. I think it's more to put it back on the on the rails. You know, it took us a lawsuit to get to this point, and winning the lawsuit to get to this point. But nonetheless, we're moving forward and looking at what can be accomplished to protect Fargo and Moorhead while receiving a permit from the state of Minnesota. That, I think, is what we're moving forward to, to accomplish. Uh, how, how is that going to be? Because, again, I, I think a lot of people are anxious for a lot of reasons on, on how this project is going to turn out, not the least of which because, you know, I, I don't think anybody wants every spring to be playing this game we've all been playing where we're all worried about whether or not Fargo-Moorhead is, is going to flood again. Um because there's really not, you know, something's got to be done. So the question is, is what can be done? What are you hoping to get out of this? Now, you're somebody who has, has opposed the, the, the flood diversion. You've been on sort of the, the, the critic side, the, the opposition side. What are you hoping these, these, this task force produces in terms of an outcome? Well, I would, you know, ideally a, a regional flood protection. And I think when we have all these entities working together, I say the entities, it's really the, the task force members, I think that can be accomplished. But, you know, the struggle and I think the challenge is that, you know, the word regional flood protection is thrown around. But what's considered the region, you know, and, and if it's just looking at two communities, I think, and I, I, I don't begrudge uh, Fargo. They obviously have to look out for what they can do to protect their city, but and not at the expense of uh, uh, such a high expense of others. And I think there's willingness to uh, have retention and whether it be drain tile, as long as there's a benefit as well uh, to other communities, I think there are landowners that are willing to participate. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com, talking with Richland County Commissioner Nathan Berseth uh, about uh, – the, the task force set up by Governor Doug Burgum and Governor Mark Dayton regarding the Fargo-Moorhead flood diversion. Um, I, I mean, uh, talking about regional flood control, I mean, are you talking about major plans to the diversion plan as it stands now? Because that, uh, you know, I, I think some would probably say that that maybe puts, you know, funding at risk. I, I mean, if we go back and try to reinvent the wheel on this plan, does that put in jeopardy what, what's already been improved in terms of funding for it? Well, I think the question is, what will Minnesota and the state of Minnesota and the DNR allow? I mean, we can talk about all these different plans, but uh, ultimately, uh, if it's if it's involving Minnesota, which it obviously will, we need to have a plan that can be approved by the state of Minnesota and receive a permit. So, I think it's premature for me to speculate what it looks like. Um, again, I think that's that's the work of the and the onus of the task force, but. Um, what what it, what what it looks like in sixty days? I can't predict, uh, Rob. What what is the? I mean, what what is the timeline for this? Uh, December, I, I mean, the, I, the, the December fifteenth. Uh, plan by December fifteenth. Okay, so I mean, do, do you think that's feasible to to get some? I mean, this is a complicated issue. Is it feasible for this task force? With, with by the way, this many members, and I'm looking down the list here. Uh, there's some people here with with some very contrary views on the flood control issue i mean do you think this group can produce something meaningful by december 15th i'm optimistic you know there's been a lot of work done red river basin uh 
Commission. You know, obviously Fargo's done a lot of work. A lot of the counties, Rich and Wilkin, Cass, Clay, Norman, Trail. There's a lot of lot of studies out there that if it can be all brought to the table and everything looked at. You know, I will. The only the only skepticism I have walking into that room is the Corps of Engineers. Um, if I could be king of the day, I would like to have this done by the locals. Locals being the, the, the two states and the other entities. Um, I think the core can convolute this process. But um, again, I want to come in with a positive, open mind for this process. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Um, what what I I, I want to say something, and I I had Governor Bergam on shortly after. Uh, his meeting with with Governor Dayton about this, and I asked him. I said, "Was you know, was, was this an effort basically to, to try to get this back on the rails um, after, frankly, what what I perceived as a poor leadership in the past?" Now, the governor wouldn't say anything about the past. You know, he says, "I want to focus on going forward and 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 you know, reaching an agreement and and completing a project going forward." And I think that's probably the right attitude to have. I think that's the attitude you have as well. You want to be optimistic. You want to engage. You don't want to go in with a closed mind and say it's my way or the highway. You know, at the end of the day, there's got to be some compromise to get flood protection in place. But to me, I I think really this is sort of an indictment of the past leadership of of this issue, the way it's been handled. I I think I think some of the people pushing it tried to bigfoot the process uh, and they lost. And now in a way, we're sort of starting over. Well, I think Governor Burgum did a, a nice job, and Governor Dayton, of selecting who they did to be on this task force due to the fact of what you just mentioned. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, it'll be, it'd be done in the open and and transparent so we can, uh, the, the public's input and, and, and have the public's buy-in, so to speak, throughout this process. And I applaud both governors. It's unfortunate, but, of course, Governor Burgum's only been on the job for less than a year. Um, and so it, it can't be really his fault in that, not at all. And and I applaud him to, to form this task force. And like you said, it should have been done seven, eight years ago, but here we are. And let's, let's look at something that we can. So we're not looking at the next five springs for Fargo and sandbagging. Whose fault is it? And I, I asked that, like I, cause you just said that, you know, governor Burgum's only been on the job for less than a year. It's not his fault. Do you think governor Dalrymple could have done more earlier on this process? I would have liked to think that he could have stepped in earlier. You know, um, it was always, this is a Fargo, pro- we were always told Fargo project. Well, when you're affecting um, at that time prior, you know, downstream and upstream, and then it got diverted just to upstream. I don't think that in, in your crossing county lines, I don't think that's no longer a local project, but it's a state project. And I think some state leadership would have uh, drastically helped the process, expedited it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Okay, so when you guys hold your first uh, meeting, and that's coming up, well, Monday, right? October 23rd? Uh, Correct. When you walk into that first meeting, what's your outgoing message to the rest of the task force? Uh, that's a good question, Rob. Uh, I think, you know, again, the the message is, you know, the past is the past. You know, Richland County wants to see flood protection for Fargo but not at the, at the entire expense of Richland County as well. And obviously we have, we have flooding issues in Richland County, Cass County, Wilkin, Clay, well, they all do. And so what is our best avenue so everybody can be uh, at the table and in an agreement? Nathan, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. 
That's Richland County Commissioner Nathan Berseth talking about the Fargo-Moorhead uh, Flood Diversion Project. He is one of the people uh, appointed to a task force uh, by Governor Doug Burgum, and Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton appointing members to the task force as well. And, well, hopefully they can solve something with it because we got to have flood protection. More to come straight ahead. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Don't go away. I think this task force the governors have set up is a good idea. I, and, I mean, listen, we, we had to get some adults in the room. And we had to get some of these people talking to each other instead of past each other. And I'm hoping that's what can happen because I think what happened with the flood diversion is, you know, Fargo interests, Moorhead interests, uh, for, for understandable reasons. Nobody wants those communities to flood. But they tried to Bigfoot their way through this process, and they got a comeuppance. And now... There's going to be this task force. Hopefully, it can produce some meaningful regu- uh, recommendations. Hopefully, we get to a point where we can pa- pass flood control that protects Fargo-Moorhead without endangering other people or, or just shifting the problem somewhere else because that's not fair either. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um Natil, I, I it's just hitting on this uh, this this national anthem thing again. Um, reportedly, I'm reading a I'm reading a um, this is a, on the NFL issue. I'm reading a report from CBS Boston. Uh, it says uh, NFL owners reportedly taking serious notice of falling TV ratings. Uh, for most of the 2016 season, the NFL largely blamed the U.S. presidential election for a decline in TV ratings, but with the league's numbers down another 7.5% so far in 2017 amid a growing backlash to players' national anthem protests, the owners are finally taking the ratings decline seriously. Uh, now, some of this is some of this is probably streaming. Some of this is probably, uh, you know, we had a caller yesterday talking about you know, the NFL is getting kind of reaching a saturation point with all the different games and all the different nights and everything. But um, I don't know. I mean, it seems like they're starting to recognize that they're losing here. Like they're they're starting to slide a little bit. And, boy, that's when they're going to sit up and take notice is when it hits them in the pocketbook. Um, although I, I don't understand why some of these brands, whether it's ESPN or whatever, why they feel like they can they – can, bring politics into this and and pretty one-sided politics too by the way can bring politics into their brands and not have it hurt them you know i i I still think at the end of the day i I know there's people out there that dispute this at the end of the day i don't think people watch football to be lectured about politics or they're not watching football to see what sort of protest is going to happen next they want to watch football you know, they're not tuning to ESPN to get some diatribe about social justice. If they want that, there's all sorts of other avenues they could go. They want ES from what they want from ESPN are is sports analysis. Talk about football, talk about tennis, talk about golf and baseball and everything else. Quit talking about politics. You know, I, I don't I don't understand this impulse to do it. I don't think the appetite for it is really out there. Um I don't know. Our, our media environment has grown increasingly fragmented anyway, though. I mean, it's 
just in terms of viewership, you know, Fox News viewers versus MSNBC viewers, it's not as monolithic as it used to be. So maybe it's okay. I mean, maybe it's okay for someone like Jimmy Kimmel to say he doesn't care about losing Republican viewers. Uh, maybe that's okay. Maybe Republicans weren't really watching in the first place. Right? So it's okay. You can just write off that section of your audience because they weren't turning in in the first place. But I, I don't know. I, I'm a little scared of a future, Natil, where we're so fragmented that we're not experiencing the same thing. I, I think I think those cultural touchstones where, you know, sometimes we're watching the same TV shows or we're going to the same movies or, or watching the same late night shows or whatever – those are things that that allow the sort of social lubricants that allowed us to talk, allowed us to find some common ground and maybe laugh a little bit together and and to see each other as human beings past our political positions. But if we continue to fragment like this, what does it pretend for our society? Nothing good, I'm afraid. It's a little scary. All right, we're going to get the rundown with the teal right after this. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. This is The Rob Report. We'll be right back. Come on, baby, take it easy. Stop following me around. I know you don't do The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. Well, Teal, what do we got on the rundown today? Let's do it. I'm going to get this one out of the way first because it's admittedly a little gross and we're probably not going to want to talk about it for too long. Uh, researchers warn, don't eat your placenta. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? So for for as long as mammals have had placentas, which has been, you know, a very, very long time, there's something known. I, I'm pretty sure having a placenta is the defining characteristic of being a mammal. But well, okay. it's, it's it's part of it. I mean, you only have a placenta if you've been pregnant. You, Rob, are a mammal and don't have placenta. Yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> fair enough. But there's there's something known as uh, placenta placentophagia, which is uh, the act of eating one's own placenta, and Ugh. lots of mammals do it. But apparently, it's it's a practice that some humans do as well you know now that i've heard of this there are like hippies out there who are like oh you should eat it because it's got like vitamins and stuff it, yeah it's, it's, it supposedly does all sorts of things from reducing afterbirth pain to improving your mood and energy level more quickly increasing oh. milk production it's it's supposedly does a lot of things and people say that you can dry it and eat it like it was jerky or you can make it into a smoothie or put it into pills it's but researchers you know i I mean it's it's not it's not something that necessarily was thought of as dangerous (laughs) but it it, you know it was weird and now um yes placenta smoothies are pretty weird (laughs) But now it's come out as be, as saying that it it probably it has some potential for harm and no actual scientific documented benefits. Oh, you shouldn't. I mean, there's some things you just shouldn't have to be told. 
<laughs> I don't even want to talk. I don't. I, I, I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad the scientists are weighing in that this is a stupid idea. But I don't. I don't really want to talk about it anymore. That's gross. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. All right. Uh, pr- protesters are denouncing a white nationalist speech at a Florida university, and no one is surprised. What is perhaps surprising is that there is a huge police force being activated to keep the peace. The speech is still happening, as far as I'm aware. You know, you know, because is this um, this is that Richard Spencer guy, right? Yes. What a waste of space that guy is. But here's the thing: if there wasn't the threat of like this massive backlash, would anybody, maybe outside of like the region or the the campus, know that this waste of space is going to be speaking in Florida? Probably not. It's it's the fact that there has to be this this massive increase in security the school it's it's taking place in Gainesville um, at a university and the school is supposedly going to be spending more than five hundred thousand dollars on security for yeah. this this single event and I guess I guess what makes me happy is not that there's so much being spent on this one singular event for whom I will agree is a waste of space but the fact that the university hasn't backed down and is still going to let him speak. Well, that's the thing is you got to let him speak, right? But, but not I mean, everybody I has. Not all of like we've had universities in the past cancel right. uh, these sort of. Well, uh, well, uh, Ben Shapiro was one, and, yeah, and Ben that's Shapiro the one I was thinking of certainly not a white nationalist. Like, like agree with him or disagree with him, pretty mainstream conservative thinker, right? I mean, he's provocative, certainly. Uh, but no more so than, than many of his counterparts on the left. He should be allowed to speak. Richard Spencer, who has some truly zany views about race and nationalism and everything else, should also be allowed to speak. And I would argue that, that these, these, this fury that is met does them, I mean, this is elevating Richard Spencer. This is making Richard Spencer sound, seem like he's got something very interesting to say. And he really doesn't. He really doesn't. Honestly, I've the- looked into this guy a little bit. He's a nut. Nobody should care what this guy's. And you know what? You know what the, the worst thing you could do to Richard Spencer? The absolute worst thing you could do? Let him speak, but don't show up. That's well, see, the worst and, thing you could do. And that's what I was going to say. The, in my opinion, the two best plans forward for this would be to allow him to speak and have no one show up. Or if the fear is that he will speak and people that will believe the things that he's going to say will come to attend the event... Fill those seats with people who disagree with him, but sit quietly, silently through his entire presentation. Don't disrupt him. Exactly. Don't disrupt. Just Let him talk. Sit silently yeah. through the entire presentation, get out, leave the room, and then never speak of it again. Or engage him if you want, but do so in like a logical way. Just stand up and ask him questions. I don't, think like, he, I don't think he needs to be engaged. He should be allowed to speak. I don't necessarily know that I... I don't, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong. I mean, listen, what, what this guy is, is promoting... Is a, is a tissue of lies, and it's not going to stand up to any sort of coherent scrutiny. So I don't even have a problem. Debate him. Make him defend his positions. Don't scream at him, though. I mean, because the thing is, like, if you scream at him, if you stop him from speaking, now he's a victim. You know, so that's, like, the one thing not to do. And, and, and fr- frankly, I would just not show up. Just make him speak to an empty theater or, or one that, that's populated by a scattering of his adherents. Uh, and they can all talk to one another, and, you know, that could be it. And the rest of us can move on with our lives, satisfied that Richard Spencer was allowed to speak in accordance with the First Amendment, and nobody really cared.
That I'm would on, be the that would be the optimal outcome to me. I'm on board with you there. This next, next. headline, this next headline, I think, is maybe going to make you shout a little bit. So I'm preparing myself now. Turning your mic oh. down slightly. All right. <laughs> Cambridge University students are are being given trigger warnings for Shakespeare plays. Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you yelling yet? What what is triggering about a Shakespeare play? I, I granted, I, I I mean, Shakespeare's a master of of tragedy, right? A master. I mean. Okay, I, I, I could get why some Shakespeare content would be harrowing, right? Because there's some content. I mean, there's murder, there's betrayal, there's love gone wrong. I mean, it's there's a reason why we're still reading this guy's plays century after they were written. Well, and according uh, they're to, very, very good. According but. to the article, these trigger warnings were posted in the English faculty's notes on lectures document, which uh, it circulates to students at the university. Warning that the lecture focusing on the comedy of errors would include discussions of sexual violence and sexual assault. I mean, I don't understand what purpose that serves. And and listen, I am sensitive to to people who have been assaulted in that way that they probably don't like hearing about it. Right. I mean, I mean, I I understand like they've got to be sensitive. They've got to be fragile. But here's the thing. That stuff exists in the world. Right. I, I what what purpose are we serving by like warning everybody all the time. Oh, you know this this might have some harrowing sexual uh, portrayals in it, and you know, and and then what? Like you're just not gonna you're just gonna skip that part. You're just gonna pretend like that doesn't. Ex- I mean, I don't. No, and I think I think you. I that, think, that seems that seems infantilizing to me. See, like, and I hear that a lot from people about about trigger warnings, and I will to my death day defend the use of trigger warnings because people mm-hmm. who suffer from PTSD need to have a warning before something like that comes up so that they can use the coping methods that they've learned to get through that. The fact of the matter is that these these people that are using trigger warnings are probably doing the right thing because they're not saying, "Oh, we're not going to we're not going to discuss this or we're not going to use this text yeah. anymore because it makes people uncomfortable." No, they're going to use the text because it makes people uncomfortable because it's important. And that's they, okay. Okay, so, I can buy into that. So the reason that they put these trigger warnings out is because we've reached an age now where we understand that PTSD is a very real problem. It is a very real disorder, and people who have it suffer very greatly. So by putting these warnings out, you can say to a student, hey, when we have this lecture day, we're going to be talking about sexual assault and we're going to be doing it's, it in a very frank way. It's like, I mean, really, I guess it's not any different. And I've always liked this, like at the beginning of an HBO show when it's like, oh, we're going to have a lot of cursing and a lot of nudity and a lot of sexual content and a lot of violence. And for some people, they can look at that and say, I'm not going to watch. Now, I see all that. And I think, well, great. This make for a great episode. For other people, maybe they're not into that, and you're just giving them fair warning before you go in. This is this is some of the themes you're going to see. So I, I guess I get that. Where I don't like the trigger warning stuff is where we've done it, where you know it's like we put out the trigger warning, and then they're allowed to opt out of it. I don't think that's fair. See, right? I don't, I mean, I don't if, if, think that anybody is being allowed to opt out. In, in some these in some other instances, I think they have. Like they've been given like alternate coursework or something, and I don't think that's fair. Like if you're going to study Shakespearean literature, then Sorry, deal with it. I, I, I mean, you're, you're just gonna, you're just gonna have to deal with it. I'm sensitive to it or whatever. And, and I guess the way you explain trigger warnings, that makes sense to me. Uh, but at the end of the day, the world exists. There's ugly things in it. And sometimes you're gonna have to see them. Uh, we can't protect people from everything. Caller, Eric, you're up. Hey, Rob. Uh, yeah. Just a quick question. Uh, most of the time when people are 
listening to Shakespeare, it takes them a hard time to figure out really what happens has happened because of the language. Yeah, but it's a little archaic. Yeah, that need trigger warnings or safe spaces. It it works that way in college, but yet the very same people go home and binge watch Game of Thrones or American Horror Story and. Gee, you don't need trigger warnings for that. It's just kind of amazing. Well, except, except that those shows do have warnings at the beginning about violence and sexual content and everything else. Right, yeah, it has a disclaimer, but other than that, you know, they don't have a problem watching it is what I'm saying. But when they're yeah. in school, they do. I mean, I listen, I, I, th- I think if you're in school and you're taking a course on literature, um, I guess I don't necessarily mind the warning. You know, the way Natil... The teal's kind of changed. I, I think the teal's kind of moved me a little bit on this. Ha-ha. I think I, I don't. I'm not sure I necessarily mind the warning. Just saying, listen, there's some violence in this that that may be difficult for people with certain experiences in their lives. That being said, this is the book we're studying. Like I, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not for giving people passes to get around this stuff. You know, if if they need to prepare themselves or to have some tools or whatever to deal with it, then fine. But just. No passes. If you're going to study Shakespeare, then study Shakespeare. Uh, thanks for the call, Eric. Appreciate it. Do we got any more, Natil? We do, but I think we're going to have to push this one back to tomorrow. This, All right. Uh, this, one, this story isn't going anywhere. We will bring this one back up tomorrow. Well, maybe, maybe we'll go to a break. We'll come back with it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. And that's The Rundown. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM. We had one story left in the rundown. We ran out of time. Let's do it because, you know, Anatil, this is a pirate ship. We can do what we want. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose we can. Yarr! Well, uh, this, I guess this is another one that might cause you a little bit of consternation. Um, yeah, most things. Most, I me. suppose most things cause you some consternation. But in a recent poll, apparently the vast majority, ma- majority, majority, my, majority, major, majority, it's majority of racial minorities, smush them together, are not offended by so-called microaggressions. You know, I, it's interesting to hear that. I want to, I want some more details on this. But did I not make this point that a lot of times, like the grievance groups, are are like speaking for these broad demographics? That a lot of times don't really care about the thing that, that the grievance group says, right? Like we have groups that claim to speak for certain minority groups. And the thing is, is those groups are made up with individuals who often have su- very surprising viewpoints on the subject matter. I, I think what I used was like the, the Native American reaction to the UND Fighting Sioux nickname, right? Everybody fighting against that nickname claimed that they were on the side of the Native Americans who were being victimized by this logo and nickname, and yet the one-time Native Americans actually got to vote on it, sue people here in North Dakota at Spirit Lake. They voted overwhelmingly in favor of the, the logo and nickname. Well, and it's, um, it's amusing to me because the the way that this article talks about microtransaction or micro microaggressions isn't the way that I'm used to hearing about microaggressions. Well, give us give us some details. Well, in this, in this study, they polled a bunch of different minority groups, um, mostly Latinos and African Americans, on whether or not they felt offended by certain phrases, including, you speak good English, or America is a melting pot. Everyone can succeed in, the, succeed in this society if they work hard enough. And overwhelmingly, these groups were not offended by those phrases. And 
to, to me, those don't seem like those aren't the, the things that I think about when I think about microaggressions. Then again, when I think about microaggressions, I'm more in tune with the phrases it's used um, in the transgender communities when someone will misgender someone who is trans. If they are a, a trans woman and they are being constantly referred to as he, that re- that reference yeah. to a he is seen as a microaggression. And that tends to be something that does upset people, in my experience. This I is think different. Maybe, yeah. I, I think maybe we just should just stop making assumptions about people based on their skin color, right? I mean, I, I remember one time, I, I forget what this was. I forget what show this was in, but they, and it, it, was, a, it was a fictional show. But they portrayed, like, this politician was talking about an African-American man and was talking about, like, his experience being raised by a single mother in an urban environment. He was in the hood and had to fight off gangs and everything. And this black guy was like, uh, my dad was a surgeon. I grew up in Oklahoma. Like, you know, why, why are you making assumptions about me based on my skin color? Like, I don't, I don't fit into that stereotype. Or, or even, like, the idea that, like, all white people are necessarily privileged. Now, I, I understand that, you know, maybe your skin color and there's unfortunate stereotypes that are sometimes attached to them. But on the other hand, like you ask somebody uh, from Appalachia who grew up dirt poor uh, in a family that lost their jobs because the coal industry was in decline uh, and they're battling meth, opioid addiction and everything else. I mean, you ask them if they feel all that privileged. Right. I mean, do they feel privileged? And you know what? Because they're individuals. Yeah, they might be white. And I guess they fall into that demographic. But you know what? You are not your skin color. You are not your sexual orientation. You are not uh, your your gender, I I guess, in the transgender community. Uh, You are not those things. You are you. And a lot of those things make up who you are. But you don't have to fall into certain categories because your skin's a certain color or you're a certain gender or you're a certain sexual orientation or have a certain ethnic background or or whatever it is. You're you. And I I think we should stop. We should stop. I I hate when we talk about groups. And I think really that's what microaggressions are. And I understand what you're talking about, Natil, with, you know, sort of purposely sort of like somebody has chosen to identify as female and they continue to call them he, knowing if you do it knowingly, then that's obviously somebody being passive aggressive, and that's yeah, and, and that's and that's where the the aggressive part of microaggression comes from. The- but but the other thing, like assuming that because you're Hispanic and you say something about you know oh you, you know you, you speak English first, how do you know a Hispanic person doesn't think everybody in America should know how to speak English? I mean, why are you assuming what their position is on that issue because of their skin color? That makes that's sense. I, I can see that. Yeah, people have a lot of different. We're individuals. I always try to remember that. Individual. Not they're not you are not your group. You are an individual. I think that's important to remember. Jay Thomas show coming up next. You can always catch me here twelve to two PM Monday through Friday on nine seventy W AM ninety three point one FM. Of course, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. With the right allocations, who is fine?